Welcome to the Mark Driscoll Ministries podcast. To find more Bible teaching from Pastor Mark, visit markdriscoll.org. Thank you for listening and being a part of Mark Driscoll Ministries. And remember, it's all about Jesus. All right, welcome. Well, this is my phone. Do you have a phone? And this is my Bible. You know what the phone gives me? Bad news. Have any have you noticed this? Bad news, right? Bad news. You're like, oh, what's going on in the world? It's all, it's all bad news. MSNBC, bad news. Fox, bad news. CNN, bad news. Some of you, those are trigger words. That's how bad it is. Just hearing those words triggers you. You're like, okay, well, let me, let me look over on social media. You know what that is? Bad news, more bad news, really bad news. People supporting things that are terrible. Yay, thank you very much. Okay, let me check my calendar. Wait, wait, wait. Ah, uh, a lot of things to do. Bad news. That's okay. I'll check my banking app. Ah, bad news. Bad news. Bad news. Bad news. Bad news. Bad news. You know what this is? Good news. This is good news. So I'm going to put this down. I'm going to pick this up. We were on vacation a few years ago. I was literally holding my phone and we were out on the lake and it fell in the water. I was like, oh, n- yes. Yes, Lord. I received that as a sign from you. As it fell to the bottom of the lake, I felt my joy rise in my soul. This world is just filled with bad news. You know what we need? Some good news. And you know what? The bad news of this world, what it really does, it discourages you. That means it sucks the courage out of you. You get fearful, anxious, scared, worried, fretful, and depressed. What good news does, it pours courage into you. To encourage someone is to literally put courage or pour courage in them. My hope, my prayer, my goal for you today is for you to be encouraged as we hear about some good news and that God would use the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ to put some steel in your spine, to put some spring in your step and to put some hope in your future. Now, the whole central message of the Bible is called good news. As you read the Bible, you'll hear this word called gospel. What gospel literally means is Good news. And the way it would work in the ancient days, a king would have something awesome to tell everybody that they would get so excited about. So he would send out a herald, right? And the herald would come and say, I have gospel, I have gospel, I have gospel, I have gospel. And everybody would stop what they're doing and come to hear this gospel. What gospel means is good news. And the king has an edict. The king has a decree. The king has something amazing to share. Well, then Jesus comes along, our King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, and the gospel is the good news that our King is sending from his kingdom into all the nations of the world. And so I wanna tell you about the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And it starts with some things that I wanna ask you some questions regarding. Number one, here is the beginning of the good news. You have a problem. Is that good news or bad news? That's actually good news because it's clarifying, amen? You're like, I didn't feel like I had a problem, but everybody else did. This now makes sense of my reality, amen? It's good news to know that you have a problem. What that means is you're not the way you're supposed to be. You know what? We're not the way we're supposed to be. You know what? The world is not the way it's supposed to be. That's actually good news. It means that things should be different. That gives us hope that things could be different. Otherwise, if you believe the the counter myth and narrative is there were good people evolving and getting better. How many of you, that's not your reality. It's not, you don't say, boy, you know, I don't know why Jesus is gonna have to come back. 15, 20 minutes, this in heaven will be indistinguishable. So similar, amen. 
You know why you're frustrated? Something went wrong. You know why you're discouraged? Something went wrong. Do you know why you want to change? Because something went wrong. Do you know why you want the world to change? Something went wrong. That's actually good news because it's clarifying. It makes sense of reality. Point number one, you have a problem. We all have a problem. Number two, you ready? You are the problem. Is that good news or bad news? Your spouse thinks it's good news, amen? You're the problem. You know what this good news is? It means now I can stop blaming everyone and everything else. Because we blame it on our culture, right? Yeah, I yell at people because I'm Italian or I'm Latin or you know, I'm Middle Eastern or it's my personality. I took it and I'm a, I'm a J-E-R-K. That's my personality type. You know, I came out. So I'm a victim, it's genetic. My dad was a jerk too, you know? So you could, you know, it's the culture, it's the school, it's my parents, it's blah, 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 blah. Here's what you can do. Look in the mirror and say, you are a problem. That's what you can do when you get up every morning, okay? <laughs> you are a because let me tell you this, the biggest problem in your life, it's you. <laughs> the worst decisions that have affected your life made by you. The most dominant voice speaking to you is, I know you think it's me, it's you. <laughs> so you have a problem, you are the problem. Number three, there is a solution. Is that good news? Yes, that's good news. This gets us out of the trap that many people fall into, hopelessness, despair, fear, worry, anxiety, there's no solution. We live in a nation built on life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness in which the number one category of prescription medication is antidepressants. Okay, and I'm not saying that those are always a sin, but I'm saying that everybody's sad. Because if you look at your world and you look at yourself and you don't believe that there is any solution, you lose all hope. You lose all hope. You have a problem, you are the problem. There is a solution. Here's another one, you are not the solution. Is that good news or bad news? Good news, because some of you are like, I've been trying really hard, it ain't working. Good news, it ain't you. Oh, good, yay. This is where in our world that doesn't know God, it's self-help, self-love, self-esteem. What it's saying is you are your hero. You are your savior. You are your rescuer. You are not. Let me just tell you this, make it clean. You're the problem, not the solution, amen? Right? You're the crisis, not the rescue crew. That's good news. In addition, here's the really, really, really good news. Jesus is the solution to all our problems. Because whatever problem you have, the big problem that's under every other problem is the sin problem. That there's a God who made us. There's a God who made the world for us. There's a God who loved us. There's a God who speaks to us. There's a God who wanted a relationship with us. We have rejected him. We have rebelled against him. We have run from him. As a result, we have brought death, destruction, and the demonic into our own lives and the lives of others. And the good news is this, there is help beyond you and there is help beyond this world. If your hope is in you, your hope is in vain. If your hope is in the next election, your hope is in vain. If your hope is in just giving it more time and spending more money and waging more wars, your hope is in vain. 
The problem is us and the problem is this world. And the solution is Jesus Christ who is not like us and doesn't come from this world, amen? So here comes the deliverer, here comes the hero, here comes the rescuer, here comes the savior. Jesus enters into human history, God becomes a man. And Jesus Christ comes to live the life you have not lived, the life of perfection. He had no sin, he had no failure, fault or flaw of any sort or kind. He revealed himself to be God. He loved, he healed, he encouraged, he blessed, he unburdened. He brought the kingdom of God. And what we did, because we are bad and he is good, we murdered him. And in that moment, he took the worst evil and he turned it for the greatest good. And he suffered and died in your place for your sins. Not only did Jesus live the life you have not lived, he suffered the fate you should have suffered. And then three days later on a Sunday, that's why we're excited and meeting on a Sunday, Jesus rose from death. He overcame our biggest problem. He defeated death. He forgives sin. He gives new life. I have good news for you. There is forgiveness of sin. There is hope for this life. There is power for a new reality. And there's an eternal relationship with God that never ends. Amen, that's good news. That's good, that's a lot better than what you're gonna hear on the news tonight, amen? And what happens then is God creates, and this is our theme in the book of Galatians, Satan counterfeits. God is bringing life and Satan is always seeking to undermine that with death. And so we're gonna look at this wonderful letter of Paul to a, a series of churches in a region called Galatia. And we're gonna look at what God is doing and what Satan is doing so that we can be part of what God is doing and not part of what Satan is doing. Let me just say this briefly as well. Some of you say, I'm not sure about Satan and demons. Look around. Tell me we don't have an enemy. Anybody feel like there's an enemy out there somewhere? There are powers, principalities, and spirits that are at war against God and those whom God loves, okay? So as you look at your life and you look at this world, don't look at everything and say, I can't believe God did that. Say, so I see what God is doing, creating life. I see what Satan is doing undermining, counterfeiting, bringing death. So he's gonna start by telling us the difference between revelation and speculation. If you're new, we're gonna take 13 weeks, go through a book of the Bible called Galatians. And here we find ourselves a little ways into the book. Galatians 1, 11 through 12. For I would have you know, brothers, let me just say this. If you're a Christian, God is your father, Jesus is your big brother, and the rest of us are brothers and sisters. You know what that is? Family. How many of you love your family? And sometimes they annoy you. Welcome to the family. Okay, that's how it works. And in that culture, you need to know that oftentimes it could be illegal to call somebody a brother or sister who was not a biological relative because it gave them legal status for the family inheritance. What happens though is when God becomes your father and Jesus becomes your big brother, it reorients your identity where your primary identity is in your eternal family, not just your earthly family. I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel, that is the good news, amen? That was preached by me. The gospel has to be preached. Let me say this, you can't show 
You can't show the gospel of Jesus Christ. You have to speak it. You can give somebody clean water and a sandwich and a hand up and all of that's good. And it's God's love and grace and mercy, but they can't know that Jesus is God, become a man, born of a virgin, lived without sin, died on a cross and rose from the dead, unless you tell them and a sandwich doesn't communicate that much information. So I believe in good advice. I believe in good deeds. I'm all about good news. Preached by me is not man's gospel. There's lots of counterfeits, religious ideologies, lots of speculation. For I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. He's talking about this good news. Where does it come from? It doesn't come up from the earth. It doesn't come from philosophers. It doesn't come from religious founders and leaders. It doesn't come from politicians. It doesn't come from pithy statements or marketing firms. It doesn't come up, it comes down. That's the good news of Jesus Christ. It comes down from the kingdom of God. Just like in that ancient day, a gospel proclamation would be sent out by the king. Well, this good news comes directly from the throne of our King Jesus, amen? And that is that there is hope for this world. There is help for this world. There is healing for this world through the person and work of Jesus Christ. And what he's talking about here is man's gospels. He's talking about counterfeits. And so next slide, please. Let me just distinguish this for you. We're gonna do some comparison and contrast. One of the ways to understand something is to say, here's what it is, here's what it is not. That's what Paul does repeatedly through Galatians. What he says here is that the gospel, the good news, uh, the person and work of Jesus Christ, it's revelation. That means it comes from God. You know where speculation comes? From man. You take a philosophy class, I think, in my opinion, from my perspective, according to my experience, according to those that I have researched, according to books I have read in the past. Okay, you know what we need? Revelation, not speculation. We need God to tell us because we don't know. And he does. Our God is a God who speaks to us. Revelation is based on truth. Speculation you're gonna see in a moment is based on tradition. You know what people longing for eternity often settle for? Tradition. So they're saying, you know, I just, I wanna go back. Well, you didn't go back far enough. You didn't go back to your creator. You went back to created man-made traditions. I'm not saying that there's anything sinful or wrong in your traditions, but ultimately at the end of the day, just doing things because they've been done for a long time doesn't mean that they're the right things. Revelation is God's word to man. Speculation is man's words about God. I'll tell you this, if you wanna get to know somebody, the best way is to get to know them and let them tell you who they are, amen? How many of you have heard something about somebody? You're like, man, I heard they were just terrible, awful, horrible person. And then I met them and I was like, I actually like them. That wasn't true. Other people are like, I heard they were amazing. And I met them and oh, they are terrible people. You know what? The best thing to do is not to hear what everyone else says, but to hear who someone declares themselves, reveals themselves to be. The best way to get to know God is, is not for everybody to chime in, but for God to speak down. 
I'm a God of love, I'm a God of grace, I'm a God of mercy, I'm a God of forgiveness. I'd like a relationship, I'd like to unburden you, I'd like to heal you, I'd like to bless you, I'd like to never leave you nor forsake you. Well, that's amazing, that sounds incredible. I didn't hear that in philosophy class at the community college. I never heard a philosophy professor say, come to me all you who are burdened, weary and heavy laden, and in me you'll find rest for your soul. Never heard that from a philosophy professor. Never heard that. That's revelation. And revelation is unchanging because God gets it right the first time. Speculation is always changing, modifications and updates, because human beings never get it right the first, second, or 17th time. Amen? So, okay, this will be our little therapy. I love you. You're going to serve me. I'm going to talk about my Jeep for a moment. I, uh, I, I, I have a 2015 Jeep that I love, okay? And I bought it because it had low miles. And I thought, you know, why not get a Jeep with low miles? And ever since I got it, I keep taking it to the shop. I have blown multiple cams, rockers, and lifters. It has been in the shop constantly. Some of you would ask, well, how do you drive it? I drive it like a Jeep, okay? I drive it like a Jeep. I didn't buy a Prius, a golf cart. I bought a Jeep, amen? I bought a Jeep. So I drive it like a Jeep and it keeps breaking. And it sounds like if you put spoons in a blender, that's what my Jeep sounds like about half the time, okay? So here's what I'm telling you. We're not in heaven yet, kids. In heaven, we won't need a powertrain warranty. Until then, something to pray about. So what happens is this week, I'm meeting with the, uh, I got the mechanic. I, I, I went to the dealership. I was like, that's it. I need the oldest guy here. I don't need that kid with three whiskers. I don't need that kid. I need Yoda. I need the crafty veteran. So I grabbed the crafty veteran, the old guy's like, how long have you been doing this? He's like, 40 years and I can't even hold a wrench. Perfect, we're going for a test drive. So I put him in the car, the Jeep, and we're driving. He's like, this sounds terrible. Yes, it does, sir, it does. That's why you're here. And here's what he said. He said, yeah, they didn't get this motor right. It's a Galatians motor. It's a Galatians motor. It's a Galatians motor. He said, yeah, they keep blowing cams and then it jacks up the rocker and then it bends the lifters. Yeah, they didn't get this one right. They keep, that's why we keep working on it. We have to keep working on your Jeep because it has a design flaw. The only thing that's perfect in this world is the gospel of Jesus Christ according to the word of God. The only thing that we don't need to fix is the gospel of Jesus Christ according to the word of God. The only thing that got right the first time was the gospel of Jesus Christ according to the word of God. And what Paul says is, I told you about the gospel and then these yahoos come in after I leave and they're trying to do some modifications and updates to something that's perfect the first time. They're gonna ruin it. They're not going to help it. Now, let me say this. I didn't say this in the first service. Revelation and speculation are constantly at war. I didn't say this in the first service, but let me tell you a weird story. Um, when I was a brand new pastor, I've been a pastor now, a senior pastor, 23 years. I mean, literally almost half my adult life. I had a ministry that met at night. It's a bunch of punk rock kids. It was not a big deal. We're flat broke. Let me just tell you this. If you start a ministry for 
single unemployed men who are committed to punk rock and anarchy, it's not a real income stream. I'll just tell you that. Uh, so we're, we're just not doing so good. We lost our building, we're homeless. And I'm, I'm looking for a place to rent. So I go meet with another pastor and uh, they have a beautiful building and there's, there's nobody there, especially at night when we meet, it's empty. And I said, well, we don't have much money but I'll give you what we got. Could we please use your building? And we had a good conversation and it got down the road. It got all the way down to the end to write up the paperwork. And this pastor met with me and asked me a few questions. They said, well, before we sign the deal, I just have one question for you. I said, okay, I'm a young pastor, new Christian. I don't know what I'm doing. And uh, this pastor asked, do you still believe in Paul? I was like, Surely this is a trick question, right? Like this is a <laughs> trick question. I said, uh, I literally, I pulled out my Bible. I said, the guy who wrote 13, maybe 14 of the 27 books of the New Testament? She said, yeah. I said, yeah. She said, then I can't rent the building to you. She said, the church should have stopped believing in Paul a long time ago. He talks about people being sinners and sexual activity being immoral and, and he hates women. She said, uh, She said, if you believe in Paul, I can't rent you the building because I can't have anything that Paul taught taught in this building. I was like, well, I did. I was like, well, if lightning is coming, I'll be going, you know, like. Uh, okay. Because when the world has ideas and God has an idea and there's a collision and a conflict, at some point you gotta decide, I'm gonna go with the human speculation or the divine revelation. Next point, redemption versus religion, compare and contrast. He's gonna tell us a little bit about his story and his history, Galatians 1, 13 through 16:8. For you have heard of my former life in Judaism. What he's saying is this, I was a really devout religious guy, 100% all in. He was absolutely devoted. He would be in our day, the equivalent of a religious zealot terrorist. He's that committed. Every year, you know, who gets the zeal award? Paul got the ribbon. Who's most likely to kill people? Paul won, yay, good job, Paul. He's devoted, he's devoted. How I, what? Persecuted. You know what? Christians face persecution. Different ways in different cultures, but there is persecution. Persecuted the church of God, what? Violently and tried to destroy it. And I was advancing a Judaism beyond many of my own age among many of my people. He was, he was like an Olympic caliber religious person. So extremely zealous was I for the traditions which stood counter to the truth of my fathers. Problem is, wrong father. Your ultimate allegiance is not to the man who caused you to be born into this world, but to God who has caused you to be born again. But when he who had set me apart from when? Before I was born, who called me by his grace was pleased to reveal his son to me. Let me, let me say this quick. Okay, first, let's have an argument. I guess this will be fun. Okay, so, do you choose God or does God choose you? 
Some of you went to Bible college, you're like, we wasted a whole year on this. Every night, this is all we talked about. Okay, how many of you think that you choose God? Okay. Okay, how many of you think that God chooses you? Oh, okay, let me tell you this. God chooses you, then you choose God. Oh, you're welcome. Okay. Um, how do I know this? Paul, here's what he says. God set me apart from the womb. That's a long time before you're making choices. Amen? Was Paul looking for God or was God looking for Paul? God was looking for Paul. Did Paul love Jesus or did Jesus love Paul? Paul didn't love Jesus. Jesus loved Paul. God is at work before you work. God's grace changes you. God's love is a gift that he gives you and then you share it with him by loving him back. So if you're here, let me just tell you good news. God loves you. God picked you. If you're a Christian, God chose you. Some of you never been picked for anything, right? Even at recess, you're like, I never got picked and I was homeschooled. It was terrible. <laughs> God picked you. Be on team Jesus, amen? Now, if you look at team Jesus, you may realize these are not the all-stars, amen? <laughs> I'll take the short kid, kid with asthma, because God's a God of grace, amen? And a sense of humor. That's how he works. You need to know that. So what he's saying is, I wasn't pursuing God, but God pursued me. God had a plan for me from the womb and I didn't know his plan. What he's contrasting here is redemption and religion. Next slide, please. So let me, redemption is about Jesus Christ. Religion is about me, me, okay? Redemption is about Jesus' resume, right? Stand before God. Don't bring your resume. Set it on fire. Bring Jesus' resume. Stand before God. Don't bring your report card. Set it on fire. Bring Jesus' report card. Stand before God. Don't bring your performance review. Set it on fire. Bring Jesus' performance review. I'm here with him. Here's the deal. He did all the work for you. Amen? See, he lived, he died, he rose, he did all the work. Some people will say, well, there's a problem between us and God. Somebody's got to do something. Religion says, I'll do something. Redemption says, God did everything. Imagine you've got work tomorrow or this week. You show up to work. Somebody's there. What are you doing here? How come you're in my desk? What are you doing? I'm here to do your job. What, did I get fired? No, 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 no. No, I'm going to do your job from now on. Well, what's gonna to happen to me? Oh, you're still gonna get the paycheck and all the benefits. What the heck? How many of you be like, Lord does answer prayer. That's amazing. <laughs> Pastor Mark, is this a prophetic word? Cause I received it. Okay. What would you think about that person? That's amazing that you would do all of my work and give me all of the benefits of the work that you did. That's what Jesus does. You know what that leads to? Humility. You're like, what did you do? Um, I messed it up. That's what I did. And then Jesus fixed it. It's humility. What religion leads to is pride. Here's what Paul says three times. I'll read it to you again. In his um, telling of his story, he says, uh, I persecuted the church of God violently and tried to destroy it. I was advancing beyond many of my own age, extremely zealous was I for the traditions of my father. What he says is this, 
I, I, I. And then he says, but God. But God revealed Jesus Christ to me. Redemption makes you new. New heart, new nature, new desires, new life, new hope, new power. Here's what I can tell you. I've met a lot of people in my life and I love you and it's good to have you. I met a lot of people that regret a lot of decisions. I've never met someone who regrets receiving the grace of God in Jesus Christ. I've never met that person. Oh, I used to have burdens and now they're lifted and I used to live under condemnation and now I feel forgiven and when I die, I'm gonna be blessed forever. Oh, worst decision I ever made. Such regret, if I could undo that. How many of you, you have things you regret, but not belonging to Jesus, amen? If you're here and you don't belong to Jesus, I'll tell you this, 100% of people who belong to Jesus are glad they belong to Jesus, okay? Religion makes you worse. It takes a, the worst parts of your disposition, the worst parts of your personality, it plugs them into an amplifier and cranks the knob to 10. Did religion make Paul better? Worse. He's like, I went from being arrogant to murdering people. That's not graduation to the next level. Let me tell you a little bit about his story. It comes from the book of Acts, the uh, church history book of the New Testament. Acts chapter eight, there's a guy named Stephen who's an early church deacon. And there is a mob of angry, zealous, religious terrorists, and they come to murder him. And it says they all laid their cloaks at the feet of a young man named Saul. His name changed later to Paul, because here's the idea. Sometimes when you meet Jesus, the change is so new that you need a new name because you're truly a new person. That's why Abram becomes Abraham, Cephas becomes Peter, and Saul becomes Paul. Such a radical change, he's like, new name. That's how big this change is. And what happens is though he as Saul is persecuting the church of God, they lay the cloaks at the feet of Saul because he is the alpha male in the wolf pack going to get the shepherd, Stephen. As Stephen is dying, do you know what he does? He prays God's grace would come to Saul. He's echoing Stephen is the Lord Jesus from the cross. Father, forgive them. Uh, I've told you this before. Uh, there was an old missionary named Amy Carmichael. I love one of her analogies. She says, uh, when you bump a container, what comes out is what is already in. Okay, so let me ask you this. What just came out? Water. Do you know what was in Stephen? Grace. Do you know what was in Saul? Law. You bump Saul? Law! You bump Stephen? Grace. It looks like law is killing grace and grace prays for law to receive grace. And then grace transforms law into grace. That's a revelation from God. I just thought of that standing here. Some of you have experienced religious people that are like Saul. They've given you church hurt and abuse. You need to know that you need to pray for them that the grace of God would come to them as the grace of God has come to you. So Stephen, who is filled with grace, prays for Saul, who is filled with law, and his law is killing grace. Grace is interceding for law.
And then in chapter nine, Jesus answers Stephen's prayer. Stephen dies. Before he dies, he says, uh, heaven opened up and he said that he saw the Lord Jesus standing. Let me tell you this. The Bible says that Jesus right now is seated on a throne. I'll tell you this, if you give grace to somebody, Jesus gets up off his throne. You know what? In a sporting event, when something is wonderful happening, everybody gets out of their seat to cheer. When you give grace to someone, Jesus Christ gets off of his throne to cheer. Because ours is a God of grace and grace comes down from this king. And when this king sees his grace being distributed, he rejoices in those who are distributing it. Chapter nine, Stephen goes up, Jesus comes down. To deal with who? Saul. Some people are like, somebody needs to deal with them. I'll just get out of the way, sick Jesus on them. You'll see what happens. Jesus, it says that Saul is going out to arrest and harm and harass God's people and a light shines from heaven. You ever, to me, I just see it because I'm, you know, I'm peculiar. That wasn't like a write that down shock. I didn't know that. But nonetheless, how many of you have seen those police chases where there's a guy who's running, but there's a helicopter over him? It's like Jesus is up in heaven with a flashlight. This will be awesome. Click. Okay, watch this, angels. Watch this. There's Saul of Tarsus. Oh, he's running. Hoop, follow him, follow him, follow him, follow him, follow him, follow him. Follow him. So, light. Can't get away. And Jesus comes down and speaks to him. Everything changes once Jesus speaks to you. Acts 9, falling to the ground. So he's, he's, he's humbled, he's scared. He's like a prisoner of war who's surrendering. I would get down, but I don't know if I get up. I'm at that age, if I drop something, I'll order another one on Amazon. That's what I do. So falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Who was Saul persecuting? Christians, who felt it? Jesus. How many of you love somebody so much that when they're suffering, you feel it? Jesus loves you so much that when you're suffering, he feels it. Why are you persecuting me? Why are you persecuting me? And he said, who who are you, Lord? Let me just tell you this. If a light shines down from heaven, you are knocked to the ground and blinded, call that person Lord, okay? Just... Just cover all your bases, just a little advice. And he said, who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus. That's revelation. That's down from heaven. Whom you are persecuting, but rise, enter the city and you will be told what to do. You're not gonna do what you want anymore. I'm gonna tell you what to do. You're not the Lord anymore. I am. The Bible says he was blind for three days just for a moment, just close your eyes. Imagine suddenly you couldn't see. After a few seconds, you thought, well, this is odd. Then a few minutes go by. Now your anxiety level is rising. Am I I sick? Am I dying? 
A few hours go by. Oh my gosh, is this irreversible? A few days go by. And you realize, I'm blind. This is my new reality. Open your eyes. He was blind for three days. You know why? He had both spirit, he had physical sight, but spiritual blindness. Our whole world is filled with those people. They say, oh, I see. No, no, you don't. You don't see who Jesus is. You don't see what Jesus does. Your soul needs to see things that your eyes can't. So he had eyes that could see and a soul that was blind. And so God blinded his eyes to show him the condition of his soul, that he needed God to open the eyes of his understanding. So for three days, it says he doesn't eat or drink. You know what that is? That's a person in total shock. How many of you have gotten just hit with cataclysmic news? You're just like, I, I, don't, I don't even know what I did. or I don't even remember, like I was gone. He's in shock. God gives a vision to a man named uh, Ananias in another city that he's supposed to go share the good news of Jesus Christ with Saul of Tarsus. God also gives a vision to Saul that Ananias is coming. Here's the good news. Even if you're blind, God can give you a vision. That's amazing to me. And so God goes to Ananias and he tells him, all right, there's this guy named Saul of Tarsus. You heard of him? Yeah, 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 yeah. He's kind of a Bin Laden meets Hussein situation over there. He's like, we'll go talk to him. What the? How many of you are like, Lord, send an angel. Uh, Send a bulletproof angel. Because what God wants is he wants Ananias to be a means of grace. God could just pour out the grace on Saul, but he wants to pour it into Ananias's bucket, have him carry that grace to Saul and then pour that grace out on Saul because he doesn't want just Saul to be blessed. He also wants Ananias to be blessed because when God pours out grace, there's blessings for everybody. So Ananias goes, prays over him. Saul receives the Holy Spirit. His eyes are opened, his heart is changed, his life is renewed. He goes from Saul to Paul. He goes from a persecutor to a preacher. He goes from a church destroyer to a church builder. Here's the good news. It doesn't matter what you've done, there's grace for you in Jesus Christ. It doesn't matter what your past looks like. There's hope for your future because of the grace of Jesus Christ. If God can save Paul, y'all just come to this conclusion. Apparently there's room for me. If God can use Paul, there's room for us all, amen? And what he's gonna talk about is the difference between um, a calling and a job. So he says it this way, in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles. Him is Jesus, Gentiles is the audience. Previous to this, how did Paul, how did Saul feel about Jesus? He hated him and now he loves him. And he really hates Gentiles. And now he's gonna bring Jesus' love to the Gentiles. The God that he hated loves him and is sending him to love the people that he hated because that's the gospel. I did not immediately consult with anyone. He took some time off, solitude. 
He'll explain that in a moment. There's a difference, my friend, between solitude and isolation. Isolation is very dangerous. Sneaky, withdrawn, hidden, private. Solitude is, I need to get some time carved out just to meet with the Lord. So I've got a day of solitude carved out this week. Felt like it was time and there are questions I have for the Lord. There are thanks I wanna give to the Lord. There are things I wanna unburden and give to the Lord. So I've got a time of solitude scheduled with me and the Lord Jesus this week. It's, it's on my calendar. I know it's on his. You know, God will meet with you. Did you know that? I mean, you probably can't even get into your dentist, but you can always meet with Jesus. He says, uh, before I met with everybody, I went and met with the Lord. Let me just tell you this. Before you meet with everybody, meet with the Lord. Before you ask everybody, ask the Lord. Nor did I go up to Jerusalem, that's the mothership, the big church, to those who were apostles before me, the 12 that Jesus chose. But I went away into Arabia and returned again to Damascus, that's solitude. Then after three years, that's a lot of solitude. But here's what Saul is probably doing, like, Okay, I memorized whole books of the Old Testament in Hebrew, but I apparently had no idea what they were about. Because you can know the word of God and not know the God of the word. This whole book is about the person and work of Jesus Christ. And you could study the whole thing and say, I understand everything from circumcision to first fruits. And if you don't know Jesus, you miss the whole point, Amen. So Saul is like, okay, I thought I knew the scriptures and I was a teacher of them and persecutor for them. And then I met Jesus and he's like, start over. I think he spent three years in the Old Testament trying to figure out, okay, where's Jesus in all of this? Then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to visit Cephas, that is Peter. Cephas becomes Peter, Saul becomes Paul, remained with him 15 days, that's a long time. I saw none of the other apostles except James, the Lord's brother. Here's what you need to know. Jesus' mother, Mary, and his adoptive father, Joseph, did not consummate their marriage until after Jesus was born. But then they had a normal marriage and they had a lot of kids, sons and daughters. So Jesus had half brothers, half sisters. When he kept saying he was God and doing miracles, his family thought he had lost it. And then when he died and rose, they realized he was on to something. So they joined him and James, his brother, becomes one of the, he's gonna call him later in Galatians, one of the pillars in the church. He writes a book of the Bible called James. He is preaching and teaching the good news of his brother, Jesus. Here's the question. What would it take for you to worship your older sibling as God and co-found a religion in their honor? See, most of you are like, no, my older sibling was the devil. Uh, if anyone knows how sinful you are, it's your younger, your family, but your younger siblings, because you do stuff to them when your parents aren't looking that are nefarious, nefarious things. But what James is saying is, I actually shared a bunk bed with Jesus and he was perfect and he is God and he did rise from the dead, so I'm in. If you love Jesus, you get to be also a brother of the Lord. Good news for you, my friend. And what I'm writing to you before God, I do not lie. Then I went into the regions of Syria and Cilicia. So he talks about that God calls him to Jesus and then he makes his whole life a calling, calling. So next slide, please. Let me look at the difference between a calling and a job. 
A calling is what you were made to do. Paul was made to be a preacher to the Gentiles. A job is what you have to do, right, to make ends meet. In a calling, God calls, man confirms. So with Paul, Saul, he says, Jesus called me, and then I met with the leaders in Jerusalem. They confirmed my calling. So if you feel like God has called you to some ministry, you better have godly leadership who confirms that calling. You need both. God's calling and the confirmation of God's leaders. In a job, man calls, man confirms. A calling is about what you get to do. It's what you're excited about. He gets to go out and preach the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. He's excited about that. He's beaten, shipwrecked, homeless, stoned, left for dead, adrift on the open sea, spends time in prison. If you follow the maps as he is preaching the good news of Jesus, he walks upwards of 20 miles a day. How many of you would not do all of that for a job? If your job was like, all right, we're gonna flog you today and you gotta walk to Tucson. Like this is officially my last day on the job. A job is what you have to do and a calling is life-giving and a job is life-draining. What he's talking about here is the calling on his life. Let me say a couple of things. Let's start with Jesus. What did Jesus do before ministry? Carpentry. 90% of his life, carpentry, 10% ministry, which was his calling? Both. He was called to be a carpenter for 90% of his life, 30 years. And then he was called to be a minister for 10% of his life, three years. He wasn't ungodly doing carpentry and godly doing ministry. He wasn't junior varsity doing carpentry and varsity doing ministry. Your goal is just to walk in God's will for your life. That's your calling. Let's use another example. This man, the apostle Paul, he spends his time preaching the gospel, the good news of Jesus, and to make ends meet, he also makes tents. If you read the New Testament, he makes tents. Is this his job and this his calling or are both of these his calling? Paul, I have called you to preach the gospel and I've called you to make tents, to pay for the ministry to preach the gospel. Here's what I want you to know. The difference between a job and a calling has very little to do with what you are doing, and it has far much more to do with who, are your, who you are doing it unto. It's not what you're doing, it's who you're doing it for. It's who you're doing it for. I'll give you one little verse, it just is beautiful. It's from Colossians 3, 23 and 24. Whatever you do, what do you have to do? Mom, that's your calling. Mechanic, that's your calling. Right. Administrative assistant, that's your calling. Real estate agent, that's your calling. Some of you just think, man, I wish I could be in ministry. If you belong to Jesus, you're always in ministry. Everywhere you go, you wanna bring grace. Whatever you do, Work heartily as for the Lord and not for men. If it is, I'm doing it for you so that you will approve of me, that's a job. I'm doing it for him because he already approves of me, that's a calling. You might be doing the same thing for a totally different motivation. 
knowing that from the Lord, you will receive an inheritance and reward. You're gonna get a bonus. I'll just tell you in heaven, your retirement account is awesome. It's awesome. It says that you will never get sick. So guess what? You don't need medical. You'll never be hungry. So guess what? There'll be no grocery budget. It says in fact that the streets are lined with gold. I know some of you are saving up for retirement, but not at that level, amen? Yeah, I found this neighborhood. We, we pave with gold. That's, that's how we roll. No, that's how Jesus rolls. Heaven is a place of grace and the inheritance and the reward is in the place of grace. And he, he closes with this line. I'll share it with you. You are serving the Lord Christ. You're serving the Lord Christ. That's a calling. You may not need to do something different. You may need to do the same thing for someone else. Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ. And what Paul is talking about here, let me just say this. I have been honored to teach God's word now every week since literally since I was 24, I'm, I'm 48. I've been a senior pastor since I was 25. It's crazy. I am still learning things about the grace of God that blow my mind. I have studied dozens of books of the Bible verse by verse. I have a library that's big enough that would keep my great-grandchildren busy. I have a master's degree in Bible. I have written a systematic theology with a thousand footnotes. And even this week, I learned something absolutely revolutionary about the grace of God. So let me just tell you, the word of God is living and active. It's eternal, it's not old, and it never grows old. It keeps us young. Here's what I learned. There is grace and there are means of grace. When you do things under the Lord, not only do you receive God's grace, you get to be a means of God's grace. Because let me tell you what God's grace is. God's grace is Jesus' work for you through his death, burial, and resurrection. The grace of God is Jesus' work in you by the person, the presence, and the power of the Holy Spirit. And God's grace works through you. Let me say this, as I preach grace, there are always people who say, we have so much to do. If you just give them grace and love them and give them mercy and be nice to them. Law people always look like that, by the way. They're not... <laughs> just give them grace and love them and be nice to them and forgive them and bless them and tell them that God loves them. How are we going to get all the work done? Need to give them some law. Let me tell you this, grace outperforms law. Always, because you'll do things for love you would not do for duty. Let me tell you this, God is not obligated to you. He owes you nothing. Everything he did was out of grace. When my kids were little, if they were going to a birthday party or a Chuck E. Cheese or a Great Wolf Lodge and there's one going in down the street, um, I would give them money and I'd give them extra money. Dad, I don't need that much money. I know you don't, somebody else might. If there's a kid that forgot their money or lost their money, right, or blew their money, give them money. You know why? That means my child has an opportunity to be a means of grace. 
Why does God allow us to be a means of grace? Because God wants them to be blessed, but he also wants us to be blessed too, because it's more blessed to give than receive. So if you've been forgiven, that's a grace to you. And then you forgive somebody, you're a means of grace. If God has forgiven you and you tell them about the work of Jesus, that's a means of grace to them. If you've been through a hardship in your life and God has been gracious to you and you share the lessons you've learned and it encourages someone in their dark season, you're a means of grace to them. Do you know how awesome it is to be a means of grace? Do you know how life-changing it is to say, God is a God of grace. Every day I get up and I'm called to be a dispenser, distributor of grace. I'm looking for my opportunities. Who can I love? Who can I forgive? Who can I bless? Who can I pray for? Who can I give to? Who can I impart grace to? And here's what happens. You will run out of time. You will run out of money and you will run out of energy. But the only inexhaustible source in all the universe is the grace of God. You just give it away, share it, love people, serve people, be generous. It's like the little boy that gave his lunch to Jesus. It just kept multiplying. That's how the grace of God works. And I'll just, I'll tell you this, for you law-based parents, law barely works when the kids are under your roof and it causes rebellion when they move out from under your roof. Grace and love and mercy from God through you to the kid will then hopefully train the kid to go out and give grace to others so that they become a means of grace because being a means of grace is the most awesome thing in the whole world, amen? How many of you are like, I got to bless somebody. That was awesome. I got to give to them. That was amazing. I told them God loved them and they believed it. Woohoo! I like that, Amen. Oh, your wood's wet. I'm all fired up. Come on, right? God's grace gets, so there's a little line. I'll just, we're way off the notes. Not that we really have notes, but 1 Corinthians 15, Paul says, I worked harder than anyone. I got more done than everyone, but it was not I. It was the grace of God with me. The grace of God gets things done in a supernatural way by the power of God. Let me give you one bad analogy because it's all that I got. Even for those who are not Christian, the receiving of grace stirs in them this longing to give grace. So have you seen these drive-through, you know, pick up your coffee spots? Okay, have you been to one of those recently? I have, I pulled up, they couldn't hear my order because my Jeep was making so much noise. Okay, so. What do you want? I would like a coffee and a Jeep. That's what I would like. Okay, so, but what happens is sometimes the person at the very front of the line, what do they do? They pay for their coffee and the one behind them. Then the person dries up. How much do I owe you? Nothing. Well, I'm getting something I didn't deserve or pay for or earn. Well, that's awesome. Let me pay for the person behind me. I looked at it on the internet. I'm not saying the things on the internet are true. Let's just preface that. Because internet's the Greek word for demon. But it's, uh, I read on the internet that there were, a, one of them, it was a thousand people in a row paid for the person's coffee behind them. Do you know what? It's like, oh, I got grace. I'm gonna give grace. 
You drive away going, I don't even know God, but for some reason, getting something and giving something feels awesome. Maybe that's what I was created for. And then I read the story. One guy at the very end said, this needed to stop, so I stopped it. (laughs) If that guy's watching on Facebook, read Galatians, okay? You need to be saved from yourself. You're a problem, okay? (laughs) But the whole point is that when we receive grace, we learn to give grace. There's something in us. Let me just say this. Your body needs water, your body needs food, your soul, the energy it runs on is grace. And when you receive grace and you give it to others, that's when life works. So let me close with this. And I always say that, not because I'm closing, but just because I want you to pay attention. So full disclosure, that's where we're at in the sermon. God's grace creates your testimony. See, this is the difference between a biography and a testimony. A biography is, Here's what I did, here's what they did, here's what we did. A testimony is, here's what Jesus did. So Paul told us previously, I, 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 but God. That's a testimony. Our world is filled with biographies. Awesome people who pull themselves up by their bootstraps. The story of the Bible is, nobody has boots, let alone straps. You're not pulling anything up. Jesus has come to get you. And I was still unknown in person to the churches of Judea that are in Christ. He hadn't made it to life group or church yet. Can you imagine why? Can you imagine you got your life group? You're like, everybody's welcome. Come on over to our house. Huh? What are you doing here? Where do you, you murder us. Yeah, let's have a prayer meeting. Everybody close your eyes, bow your head. No, 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 no. I believe in heaven, but I don't wanna go there today, right? They only were hearing it said, he used to persecute us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy. You know the difference between persecuting and preaching is grace. That's how powerful grace is, God's grace. And they glorified God because of me, because he is a trophy of grace, because he has a testimony of grace. Who needs to hear your testimony this week? Who do you need to share the work of Jesus in your life with? There are people that may not believe the word of God until you share with them the power of God in your life. So here's what I wanna do. I wanna close by giving you a testimony if I may. Could just give me a few more minutes. I wanna share a testimony of God's grace because I wanna encourage you and put courage in you in a world that discourages you and takes courage out of you. I wanna give you good news in a world of bad news. And it's how we got here. See, you guys don't even know it. You guys are a means of grace to us this morning. We're honored to have you, so thank you for being here. When my family and I married to a woman named Grace, so this is a lesson I'm always learning. I love her. We have five kids. We were considering where to move. And one of the places that we were considering was Arizona. We'd been here a few times and liked it. And we're wondering if maybe it would be a place that God would have us to be as a family. And we were wrestling through that decision of God's calling. And so I was in Florida at a pastor's conference. I was not part of the network, but these are wonderful people who love Jesus. And I went there. I felt, I literally felt compelled by the Holy Spirit to go there. It made no sense but I felt like God said, go. So I went and the whole time I'm hanging out, I'm seeing friends and it was very good and it was nice. And then 
um, just a few hours before my flight out, I felt the Holy Spirit speak to me and say, um, you know, that we needed to have a meeting and I needed to get out of the meeting and to meet with him and to have solitude with him before the flight. Okay, so I punched in a coffee shop and I got in the rental car and I drove there and it was like some weird high school. I was like, well, that's not, maybe they have a coffee shop in there, but that's not, I plug it in again. Well, now I'm driving around, I'm confused and I realize, okay, I'm running out of time. My flight leaves soon. So I'm driving away. Okay, Lord, where should I go? And I see a Mexican restaurant. I felt that was the word of the Lord to me. <laughs> okay, if you wanna meet with Jesus, go to a Mexican restaurant. That's what I'm telling you. So I pulled over, I'm like, well, I don't, you know, carne asada, you know, because if you know me, the answer to every question is Jesus or carne asada. Those are the answers to all the questions. So. I pulled over and I walk into the Mexican restaurant in Florida, a place I've never been. I've never been to this city. And the waitress asked, is it just you? I said, yeah, it's just me. She said, well, I'll sit you over here. I said, great, I'm gonna go wash up. I'll be right back. Way over on the other side of the Mexican restaurant, there's a table. Most of the guys have their back turned to me. One guy turns around and he goes, Pastor Mark? I said, yeah. He said, I recognize your voice. How many of you know that's a possibility? <laughs> And he said, what are you doing here? I said, uh, well, I was here for the conference. He says, I was too. I said, well, I left early because I felt like I was supposed to meet with the Lord. He said, that's why we left early. He said, well, we've been praying every day for you and your family in the next season of ministry and what God has for you. He said, it's so honored to meet you. Can I, he literally got up, gave me a hug. Hey, thanks brother. Thanks for encouraging me. Thanks for praying for me and my family. Total stranger, another side of the country. I go into the restroom, I come out, I'm eating. And uh, they call me over to their table. I said, you know what? Can we just pray for you now? I said, yeah. So they bowed their heads, closed their eyes, prayed for me and my family. And then uh, one of the pastors opened his eyes. He said, Pastor Mark, can I share something with you? I said, yeah. I said, when I was praying for you, I feel like God gave me a vision. Do tell. He said, uh, I saw you and your family pack all of your belongings, move across the country to a place where the sun always shines, that God would have a wonderful ministry for you and that it's gonna be a great season. He said, does that make any sense? I said, my flight is leaving. I'm flying to Arizona right now. Grace and the kids are flying to meet me there. And we are asking the Lord if we can move there. And I'm meeting with some of the senior pastors and godfathers of the church in the valley, asking if they would receive us. I said, so yeah, this makes a lot of sense from a total stranger at a Mexican restaurant in Florida. <laughs> Do you know what that is? The grace of God. God could have just told me what his destiny was, but he told this man so we could both have joy. So I got on the plane, I landed, we toured. Grace is like, I love it here. I'm talking to the kids. They're asking like, do we get a pool? We're having those conversations. <laughs> and it was, okay, where are we gonna live? Where are we gonna go to school? What are we gonna do? I don't know, but if God's grace is there, if we just get to God's grace, the rest will figure itself out. The pastor said, we welcome you to the valley. We'd like you to come. So we, we packed up our stuff and we moved. And, and we only took minimal belongings with us. We left everything in our house up north. And then about maybe a hundred foot cedar tree fell on our house. We are 
we are renting a VRBO waiting for our home to sell so we can get our equity and our belongings. Now I'm, I'm the father of five children, elementary, middle school, high school, and college. All of our possessions are in a home that is now filled with squirrels and deer. <laughs> I was there. Our equity is there. I have none of my possessions and none of my wealth. And the house that we're staying in smelled like Satan farted. <laughs> it did. Some of you say, what does it smell like? That house, okay. So when the tree fell on our house, I jumped on a plane and I flew up and it was the middle of the night and I hopped the fence and the power is out and it's a storm and I'm looking at a hundred foot tree crashed all the way through the house. And I kid you not, it split the bed that Grace and I sleep in down the middle on an early Saturday morning. And in one moment I was thinking, God, what am I gonna do? My family's in another state, our possessions are in this state. All my equity is in this house. I don't know what we're gonna do. I don't have a job. I don't know how this is gonna work out. And then I remembered, Grace and I would be dead. And our five babies would have no mom or dad. And I just thought, well, praise God, I wasn't in bed. That was the grace of God. Now we had to find a school for the kids. How many of you are new to the valley and you've tried that? Oh, we didn't understand the charter school system. And so we're late, we're on the waiting list. We're trying to get all these kids slotted into schools. They had a great school up north. One kid kind of got into school. Another kid didn't get into their school, waitlisted at this school. Two of our kids got into one school. We went to take the two kids to the school and one of the kids turned into a cage fighter. Literally is in the back of the course. Like, I'm not going to this school. This is not my school. I will not go. It's like, all right, Lord, I received that as a word. Okay, so I'm literally trying to, hey, Pastor Mark here, welcome. All right, I got to give this kid grace. Back in the car, all right, so... So Grace is filling out forms and I'm freaking out. We don't have a school for the kids. So then we found a school. We thought, well, that could be it. They said, sorry, we're full, waitlisted, no way. All of your grades are the biggest for all of your kids. There's zero hope. Well, just please put us on the waitlist. All right, but you're like number 1,017 on the list. Okay, then they call 24 hours before school starts. Oh, well, actually there's so many kids in this particular grade that we've opened additional class. Your kid made it, that takes you from an inactive to an active family. You're now on the active list, which was the grace of God. And then they called back a few hours later. They said, well, you never guess what? Every age of your kid, somebody dropped out, your kids all slotted and they can all go to the same school, start tomorrow. That is the, the grace of God. So we, we, we're trying to figure out, okay, Lord, Lord, what do you have for us to do? The kids called a meeting. Dad, we miss preaching. Let's start a church. You started the first one before we were born. Let's do this one as a family project. Do you know what? When your kids love Jesus and want to serve him, you know what that is? The grace of God. <laughs> what do you want to name it? The Trinity Church, because their grandma and grandpa planted a church called the Trinity Church and pastored it for decades. Okay, that's great. We made a list of things to pray for. 
people. <laughs> so thanks for being here. Uh, and we prayed for a building. And uh, I flew out to meet with one of my overseers, Pastor Jimmy Evans, uh, one of our pastors. And he said, what are you gonna do for a building? He sa I said, well, I'm thinking about renting something. He's like, no, 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 you're gonna buy one. I was like, I don't have people or money. Most of the time a bank would like to see people or money before they give you real estate. He said, no, no, you're gonna buy a building. It'll be a historically designated church. You won't have to bring it up to code. Probably off the 101, I think it'll seat 800. It'll seat 800. Like that's very specific. <laughs> so I go back, I tell the kids, well, here you go. So I call the realtor. He's like, that church doesn't exist. It's never existed. It's a new city, not an old city. We don't have old buildings. There's nothing near the 101. There's nothing that seats that many. This, is, this doesn't exist. Hey, Jimmy, it doesn't exist. It will. It's coming. All right. Next thing I know, I get a call. There is a building. Where is it at? Off the 101. Huh. I'm gonna go look at that. So Gideon and I jumped in the car after baseball practice. He still had his uniform on and the eye black under and we pulled over and looked around at night and Gideon raised a hand and prayed. He felt like this was gonna be the building that God was gonna give us. And the building couldn't be sold and there was a tenant renting it and it had years of deferred maintenance and it was in really rough shape. The church vacated, gave us the keys. We got the keys, the 50th anniversary, the grand opening Sunday of the building. And then it came available for purchase. It had not been available for purchase for many, many years. And we got to purchase it and I told the the denomination, I was like, well, I don't have a down payment and I, no bank is gonna take us because we don't have any people or money. And he said, oh, we'll serve as your bank, you'll figure it out. That is the grace of God from other Christians. And so we needed a certain amount for a down payment. A friend called, asked me, what do you need? I said, I'm not gonna tell you. He said, well, I said, how much can you send? And he told me the amount and it was to the dollar of what we needed to execute the purchase and sale and he wired it. Next thing I know, dozens of churches, more than 40 from around the Valley and world start sending things and money. And then we got to start working on the property and we started with work parties on Sundays. Some of you were here for those. And you know what? Lots of wonderful people showed up and got their hands dirty. That was the grace of God. And now we have a church home and it's filled with people who get to learn about the grace of God in a place that exists because of the grace of God. You know, it was interesting at Easter, we set up every potential chair in the room. Pastor Brandon came up to me and he said, um, it seats 793. And then we looked up at the booth and he said, oh my gosh, there's seven seats in the booth that seats 800. <laughs> there's grace for you. There's grace for your future. What happens is we look into the future and we just have fear because we don't see God's grace. But we need to trust that the God of grace and the grace of God will be there. And that allows us to proceed forward in faith rather than just being paralyzed with fear. Okay, here's what I can tell you. God isn't showing you the grace he has for your future because he wants you to live by faith and the faith is in the God who was gracious to you yesterday will be gracious to you tomorrow. 
And so I wanna just tell you this, we love you, you're a means of grace. And every time I walk onto this property and see these people, I just feel overwhelmed by the grace of God, okay? And here's what I, I just want you to covenant with me that the Trinity Church would always be a place of grace. When you walk on property, just remind yourself, this is the grace of God. When you see people, this is the grace of God. When you see kids running around in the backyard, this is the grace of God. We wanna be a place where people are built up, not beat up, where their burdens are lifted, their burdens aren't given, and where the grace of God is poured out. And for some reason, uniquely on this ministry, in God pours out grace everywhere, but he's just been really generous with grace upon grace here. And I love you and it's an honor to teach you God's word, but I want you to receive God's grace. So we're gonna give you means of grace. We're gonna call the band forward. We're gonna sing some songs. You know why? Because it's a means of grace. It's good for the soul. It's a way of connecting with the Lord and giving burdens to the Lord and giving needs to the Lord and receiving the specific grace that you need from that same Lord. As well, we're gonna partake of communion, which is remembering the broken body and shed blood of Jesus, which is the? That's the grace of God. What Jesus said on the cross, it is finished. All the work was done and you just get to enjoy the grace. I love you. Why don't you just rise with me, stand up, I'll pray and we'll sing. Father God, we don't have words that are sufficient or magnificent enough to communicate just the overwhelming sense of awe that we have at the grace that has been poured out through Jesus Christ. So God, as we come to sing, give us some measure of words to express in response, just how we love this grace. We receive this grace. God, as we sing, we send this grace back to you. As we sing, we send this grace out to each other. As we partake of communion, we receive this grace and we acknowledge that we are forgiven and we leave here to share this grace, to be means of grace, to love, to bless, to forgive, to heal, to serve and unburden, not because we have to, but because we get to, not because you make us, but because you invite us by your grace. Jesus, we love you. And we just now invite you, Holy Spirit, to make this a time of grace and a place of grace where the people of God can experience the grace of God through the Lord Jesus Christ, amen.